So I believe that's right here. We were ready to look at 1 Samuel chapter 4. So thank you all again for being here. I guess I should start out with the correct way, in the correct manner. So uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4. Going to read that, and then we'll look at the questions here. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Be strong. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <clears throat> These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. See, these folks knew who God was. They knew what he had done in the past. Be strong and, con and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was ninety-eight years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and uh, Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. 
Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child due to be delivered and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. So if we look at our first question here, and if we we have a reference here, how does Judges 13.5 relate to the times of Samuel? Now, I have the, the reference here, Judges 13.5. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So, right, just this, this was originally about Samson, and we know that Samson fulfilled that, right, while he was judging Israel for those, I think, 20 years. So now, this falls to Samuel, who also, we know, has been a Nazarite from the beginning. His mother made that vow for him. So, now he will take over that job of delivering Israel from the Philistines. So, number two, explain the situation found in this chapter in light of chapter 4, verse 9, and chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And if you look even at verse, chapter 4 and verse 9, which we read, I think that really gives you the idea there. Well, right, yeah, I mean, yes, they did lose 30,000 that second fight, yep, that's... And the ark was captured, right? But the situation here, at the situation here that they're looking for, okay, what they're looking for, uh, that's okay. This is question two, right? And uh, question two, the situation at this time is basically that the Philistines, they did not want to be servants like the Gibeonites. And actually, they were pretty much in charge and had control of a lot of things, and they were considered themselves stronger than Israel at that time. Um, 
They did not want to be service to them. Instead, they wanted that reverse. You know, they wanted the reverse of that. And Israel is afraid of them due to the losses they've had, of course, fighting the Philistines. And again, having strayed from the Lord has made Israel very vulnerable, very open to being conquered or run over. So, number three, what was the result of Israel's first encounter with the Philistines? They were defeated. They were defeated, right. And they lost what? Um, 4,000 men. That's bad enough, right? That's 4,000 men. That was what happened there. Now, if we look, because there really isn't, I mean, unless someone else has something on that, I, I didn't want to move us past to the, but question number four, the elders of Israel could see, due to those results, right, that God was not with them. But do you think they understood that? Did they seem to understand that God wasn't with them? It doesn't seem that way because they forged ahead with a new plan. We'll, we'll take the ark. That's where the power is, right? Right. Right. They they made the decision. Yes, Pat, quit. You know, um, I don't know everything that happened, but to me it sounds like they didn't do like they did in the past and go to God for direction on how they go to battle. They took it upon themselves. Instead of asking God what to do, they took the ark as a symbol of God instead of taking God with them. Right. They took the ark almost, yeah, anyway, yes, yeah. They took the ark almost as a symbol of God or like an almost like an idol, like somehow they would just drag God into the fight with them, right? They just took the ark and and they would instantly prevail from having the ark with them. But that's, anyway, that didn't work out. So we can see that they didn't really understand or they didn't seem to really think about the fact that God wasn't with them. Yes? You think that all the years that, that Eli's children were, his sons were going against God, maybe they, they were kind of going astray also. If they, you would think the people would be complaining if you know, your sons aren't doing what's right. But over the years, maybe they just kind of drifted away and, and they thought, well, here's the ark, you know, we know what, what to do next, instead of asking of God or turning to God. Right, because they didn't. I mean, they didn't ask God, they didn't go to God. And uh, those two those two sons were supposed to be the priests, so if, they're, if they've wandered off, and we know from what we read in the past that they were off track, they were not following God correctly themselves, then how... If your leaders are all off, how much more so are your other people going to be off? Especially like your military people. It just seems to me like they were treating the ark like it was an idol. Yes, they they were. That's 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 what I thought too when I read it. That's exactly they're thinking that idol is going to do something for them. The power wasn't in the ark. The ark was just something that was being used by God as He saw fit. I, I really believe part of them, they thought that they were just going to drag God into the fight without his permission, and that doesn't work, you know? 
So that's the way it seems. Yes, Pam. It makes me think of uh, Catholicism back at the time when uh, they had the crusades, you know, to make everybody Christian. And they held the cross in front of them and walked forward into battle. And they were using the cross as an idol like they did the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, instead of taking God with them, they were taking a symbolic symbol. They were, yeah, they were taking a symbol of Christ into battle. Yeah, right. And, well, that didn't work out either. I mean, so that sort of tells you that what you need to know about that. Um. All right, so unless, does anyone have anything else on that? All right, so question number five. Ex explain the significance of the Ark of the Covenant and why Israel thought its presence would help them. Now, we kind of talked about some of that. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, we just covered a lot of that. Um, and really, it just seems like they misunderstood. That's where, you know, God was between the cherubim and would, would speak to them, but he was not, what, he was not tied to the ark. He was not living in the ark where they could just drag him off with them, so. Well, the last part of that sentence in verse 3 kind of tells it all, is that, <clears throat> When it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Right. And see, they said, it may save us, right? So they expected the Ark of the Covenant to somehow have this power that would save them, have God's power. And that's not the way it works. So, But then again, they still had a lot of idol worshiping things going on that they shouldn't have been doing. So I think they were very confused. Um, all right. So in that case... Oh, and if you look at Exodus, that's right. If you look at Exodus 25, 22, it says in there, this is, you know, God speaking of the ark, and there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So that's where God spoke to them from, but that's not, he wasn't really tied to that where they could just, <clears throat> pardon me, where they could just drag him into battle. So, and I think this continues here with question six. What superstitious misconception of the ark was held by the people? And is there a lesson to be learned from this? Don't put our faith in things that are made by man. Right. God, God is where we put our faith. Even the songbook the physical Bible itself has no power in and of itself. It's, it's God that makes that special, makes that important, makes that something. Everything else is just physical stuff. It's like you said, the Bible. And when you go into court of law, they, I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to put their hand on the Bible. And then when they swear on the president and stuff, they put their hand on the Bible. Like, right. That's a significant thing. And that's a, that's a ceremonial thing that's supposed to mean that they're being honest. And we wish that were so. I don't know if that's so. These people that put their hand up, they don't even know what it says in there. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure there's been a lot of people put their hand on the Bible and had no idea what it says. Yes, I'm sure that's right.
All right. Let's see. So, so they accidentally made an idol of the ark. All right. So we're going to move on to question seven, unless anyone has anything else on that. All right. What is meant by the order, conduct yourselves like men? Now, this is in verse nine, and they have a comparison. I'm not sure that that, but we'll see. If you look at verse nine, what's meant by that order? Right. We would say, you know, man up, be a man, you know, just go with it, gut it out. You know, we would say things like that, whatever, you know, and that's that's what they do in the military. You know, they they, they tell the guys, look, you're just going to have to face it. You have to deal with it. You can die facing it or you can die with your back to it. You know, that's kind of the, the way that goes. And that's kind of what they're telling them. I'm not sure about this reference. This reference is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. says, Watch and stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. So... The only thing it compared to is the, the first thing is saying, Be strong, man up, and then I guess 1 Corinthians 16 says, Be strong in the faith. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the the comparison is that they're telling them to be strong, to be a man in human strength, to be strong and brave. But in First Corinthians here, we're being told to be strong and be brave in the faith, right? In our belief in God, in our trust in the Lord. So. Yeah. Listings are trying to build themselves up, and uh, you know, at first the talk was, "We're going to die. You're bringing your God, and, and that's the one that defeated the Israelites. The, uh, yeah, the Egyptians. the Egyptians. Yeah. And and it's like, so we need to stand. You know, we're terrified and afraid. And somehow the talk came around to like, we don't want to be subject to them. Right. But stand up and go. That's right. They did not want to be subject to the to the Hebrews to the Israelites. Does anybody else have anything on that? All right. So if we look at question, it's not really even a question. Just list the effects of the battle, this, this second battle. I found three things that I thought were important. Okay. Well, actually four. Okay. First of all, Israel was defeated. Yep. Every man fled to his own tent. The slaughter was great, and 30,000 footmen, soldiers died. Right. And they lost the ark. And they lost the ark. That's right. And the sons of Eli killed. Yep. And, well, and then Eli died when he heard the news. I didn't count that as part of the battle, but that's something to note, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, when he heard of it, he yeah. fell over and died. So, yeah, that, that did have that impact, and that was something I did not have here. So that's good. So, oh, yeah, and Phineas is, yeah, and when she heard that, yeah, okay. She was distraught, and her labor pains came upon her. There, there was something else. So, but you'll notice one thing. The defeat was worse 
the second time. The first time, what did they lose? 4,000 guys, which is bad. Yeah. Not like you could spare 4,000 people, you know. But this time they lose 30,000 people. <laughs> I mean, and that's because they were treating the ark as an idol and, you know, trying to drag God into the battle. And that definitely did not work. So, and plus all the other things that everybody mentioned is right. So, and I guess when, the, I'm, I'm assuming that Hophni and Phineas probably died when the Ark was captured, because I would imagine being the two priests there that brought it along, they would be near the Ark. Which, just, just saying, that was kind of an assumption I made. You think they were maybe surprised? Here we are with, with the Ark. We're, we're unbeatable. Right. I think a lot of them... Yep. I bet they were greatly surprised to have the Ark captured like that and then them... Yeah. Yep. Does anybody have anything else on that? So, question nine... Why was Ichabod an appropriate name for a son born at such a time? And it ties into the name of Ichabod. Ichabod. It means no glory. Right. It means no glory, without glory, inglorious. It means no glory. So why would that be appropriate, say? Because they lost the battle and they didn't have God with them. They lost the battle, and they lost the ark, and they didn't have God with them, which they were still largely looking at the ark as, you know, if we've lost the ark, we've lost God, which that's not exactly right, but that's still kind of how they're looking at it. But they knew they were out of favor with God. Let's see. So what would this battle show about the ark of the covenant? If, if you were going to learn something about this in that battle, what would it be? It didn't keep them from, uh, it didn't give them a chance to win. I mean, there was no significance at all. Right. The Ark has no power. It's not the Ark you should be worshiping, right? I mean, that for them, at that time, they shouldn't be trusting in the Ark or believing that the Ark is going to give them power to win anything. Then what going in the wilderness and moving the ark that uh, it was a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to show that God's presence was there. Right now, that's how God led them. Right. Show any significance of God being there at the ark in either way? No cloud, no pillar of fire. No, no, and and God and God just told them that the ark. When they set up the tabernacle, when the uh, uh, when the the pillar of fire or pillar of smoke would stop, and they would set up the tabernacle, then that's when God was saying, then He would speak to them from between the cherubim of the mercy seat or the lid of the ark. So He wasn't, you know, He wasn't saying, "I'm I'm going to exist in this box for you, you know, to pull out when you want or something like that." So. But they knew, um, you know, the, the tribe had all their tents around that in the wilderness. Yeah, they did. Um, 
mean, you God was in there. They did. And at night they could look up and they could see the pillar of fire. It wasn't moving. In other words, they would stay there because God was there. Right. They stayed. They only moved when God moved. They didn't. They stayed as long as He stayed there. So you know, God never told them to move that ark. Oh well, that's yeah. See that that was part of their problem. They never went to God, and yeah, that He never told them to move the ark. Wonder if they got the real idea when the proceeds captured the ark. Wonder if they really thought, "Wow, did we make a mistake here by trying to put God in the ark into this?" Now it's in the Philistines' hands too. So did they wonder where God was? Yeah, I was thinking, is He in that ark? They were so confused, I don't know. I don't know what they thought, but... Right, that's right. Yes. Another idol. That, yeah. that makes sense, yeah, because it sat, I don't know how long it sat in Shiloh, the tabernacle and the ark just there. I don't know, I don't know how many years it sat there, so. Wasn't it captured again then by the Babylonians? Oh, is it? Yeah, I think it's captured again. That's, that probably is. That, that sounds right. Yeah. I don't remember exactly where or how that works, but yeah. That sounds correct. Well, we'll get more into this uh, next week. Our time is up, and I will try to be more timely next week. But, uh, well, at least we did get through chapter 4, though, so we're ready for 1 Samuel chapter 5 next week, and we'll see more about the art and the results of all this. So thank you for your time. In, uh, in Japan, there is a custom called kintsugi, and that is a practice that potters will use to repair broken pottery using a special technique. That technique involves the potter taking a, uh, a broken piece of pottery, and they'll mix up uh, this mixture of lacquer plus uh, a dust from a precious metal. It's usually gold, but sometimes it can be silver or platinum or some other valuable metal like that. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll whip up this lacquer together and they'll use that as a glue to put the pieces all back together. And when they're done, the pottery doesn't look the same, but it actually looks even more beautiful because it's got, it looks like what are veins running along where all the cracks were from the breaks that are now gold or silver or what have you, whatever they use to repair it. And the, the name Kintsugi actually means golden repair. That's what the word translates to. The idea, the philosophy behind it, is that the break in the pottery is viewed as part of the history of the object. And rather than hiding those cracks, it celebrates that as part of the object's history because it adds value to it. It's gone through a lot of experiences and it shows those off. 
If you turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8, Isaiah likens God to a potter. He says, but now, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter. God made us in his image, and when he made us, it was very good. We were good. Along the way, humanity broke itself. Everyone has broken themselves. Everyone has sinned in their life. Everyone has made mistakes. We are all, in essence, broken little pots, right? But what's nice is that Jesus has the power to transform us. He has the power to repair us. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of this lowly condition in conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power that even he, or that he even has subject all things to himself. Jesus died on the cross and his body was broken, not due to his sin, because he didn't sin, but due to our sin. The sin that broke us is what caused him to have to have his body broken on the cross. But in the same way that he rose up from the dead, that he was repaired and given life again, he is able to do the same for us. He is able to redeem us and repair us. And so I want to end with 2 Corinthians Chapter 12 and verse 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul says, Therefore I delight in weaknesses, in insults and distresses and persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Jesus, or, or in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In the same way that repairing that pot with gold celebrates its history Jesus has the power to transform us, and we, as Christians, get to be open and honest about our lives. When we become part of the church and we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, it's not so that we can sweep all of our sins under the rug so that the world never sees them again. We get to admit freely that we are sinners, that we've made mistakes, and we are now repaired. And we get to show off that artistry that's repaired us. In doing so, we hope that others will be able to accept their broken past and be able to be repaired in the same way. Tonight, we're going to sing this song here in just a moment. And I encourage you that if there's something broken in your life, that you come forward and make it known. Jesus has the power to transform all of us, no matter how big or great the break is. And so if you have a need, let it be known while together, while we stand and while we sing.